Well, we are on a series, Don't Be a Snob, Part 3. And in this series, we've been reminded that God is impartial in his dealings with all people. This means he is completely unlike us because we are very biased in our dealings with people. We tend to put everyone into categories, but God doesn't snub you because of what you lack. <clears throat> Neither is he impressed by your status or wealth. The book of James lays out a series of tests to determine if your faith is alive or dead. And James calls on individuals, uh, believers, and the church to conduct a thorough self-examination to determine if we're genuine Christians. If we're healthy Christians, then we will value all people equally if we are healthy and if we are growing and really love the Lord. We're focusing in on James because he writes in a very practical way about the sin of partiality in the life of the local church. And this principle James wants us to get is simply this. As Christians, we are to be like our God. Our God is not prejudiced, so he forbids his followers to be prejudiced. Uh, and today we pick up in James 2, 5-7. Let's read that together. It says, Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters. Now this is a warm and respectful call to listen. Notice he calls them my beloved. So James is, is talking to fellow uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. He loves them dearly. And do you know that uh, people that love us speak truth into our lives, even if, it, even if we don't want to hear that? Has not God chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith as believers, to be heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? But you, in contrast, have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress and exploit you and personally drag you into the courts of law? Do they not blaspheme this precious name of Christ by which you are called? He is saying, I want you to see the inconsistency of calling yourself a Christ follower while showing favoritism. And in verse 5 is saying, you're preferring the rich and the powerful while God has chosen the poor and the nobodies of this world. When you go against the poor and the downcast, you go against the very ones God has chosen. Have you not despised the very ones who God has chosen and favors? <clears throat> James is reminding us that when you look throughout God's redemptive history, it is obvious that he has chosen the one the world thinks are nobodies, the down and outers, the ones who seem useless. James is saying to us here today, think about it. When you examine the people God has selected throughout history, the list is dominated by the poor. It is dominated by the people who do not have what the rich possess. Now, that's not to say that the rich are never chosen. And let me just give you a few examples of that. In Genesis, we see that Abraham was a very wealthy man. Father Abraham had many sons. 
All right, all right. Bringing it back old school. Uh, far beyond other men in his own time, in Genesis 13, 2, tells us about the great possessions and wealth of Abraham and that God selected him as the father of the nation of Israel. What about Job? Was Job wealthy? You better believe he was. He was a wealthy and godly man. He was so godly that God literally turned Satan loose on him to test him. He was so wealthy, Job 1.3 says he had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camel, 500 oxen, and one commentator said that that's like having 500 Mercedes-Benz. Could you imagine having so many Mercedes-Benz that you had more cars than you had days in the year? Uh, which one will I pick today? I don't know. He had 500 beasts of burden, a very great household, so that he was one of the wealthiest people in the world at that time. And he would, he would have been on the top 10 list in the latest issue of Forbes magazine. How about Joseph of Arimathea, who was a very godly, prosperous, and rich man, rich enough to provide a garden tomb for the burial of the Lord Jesus Christ. What about Zacchaeus? He was a wee little man. I can relate to Zacchaeus. But he was a very wealthy man. He had turned what he took in taxes into an absolute fortune. He was loaded. And back then, in the day, actually it's probably still to the day, Tax collectors were not highly favored because they mistreated and abused people, and they got rich off of that. But one day, he had an encounter with Jesus, and he was converted. And he would repay everybody multiple times more than what he had taken from them. Zacchaeus' conversion to Christ turned his greed into generosity. That's what happens when you are genuinely converted. If you tell me that you love Jesus and you are a selfish individual that's all about themselves, all about taking advantage of other people, then I really want to take a look at your conversion and if it's really true. Because, man, there was a time where many of us were greedy. But when you come into a saving relationship with Jesus, that greed turns into generosity. It does. So God chooses the rich people to bless the needy. But too often, churches and Christians have judged people who are wealthy. Even though they have worked hard, made wise financial decisions, spent their money wisely, saved, and taken risks that have paid off. It is not a sin to be rich. And I've seen God use people of great wealth to have a great impact for the kingdom of God. The question is, 
what are you living for? Where do you find your identity? And what are you doing with what God has given you? That's the question to ask. In regards to the poor, however, Scripture shows that God has a special affection and love for the poor. Listen to the heart of God in this psalm, Psalm 41, 1 through 3, in the Amplified Version. It says, Blessed by God's grace and compassion is he who considers the helpless. The Lord will save him in the day of trouble. The Lord will protect him and keep him alive. And he will be called blessed in the land. You do not hand him over to the desire of his enemies. The Lord will sustain and strengthen him on his sickbed. In his illness, you will restore him to health. In other words, if you take care of the poor, God will take care of you. Because you have the heart of God. And you reap what you sow in this life. I'm only 38, but I'm realizing that more and more. Let's get practical. Who are the poor among us? You know, it's not just the people that live on the street. I was at a uh, fast food restaurant uh, two Thursdays ago. Usually, sometimes I don't get a a chance to eat dinner on Thursday night until after the service. So it was about 9.30 at night, and I go to a fast food place. And there is a young gal, probably uh, probably in her early, mid-20s, beautiful young gal. And she is pregnant. And she looks like she could have this baby at any moment. I'm kind of wondering if she's going to have the baby before she hands me the burger. And uh, here she is late at night, and she's reaching over that little counter there to hand me her money. I'm like, don't squish the baby, you know. And she is working all the way up till she has this baby so she can take care of this baby that she's about to have. I guarantee you, she's not rolling in the dough. What about your job right now and your employment? What about the people that are entry level, that are barely scraping by, that maybe are uh, married and have a young family and, and they're making just maybe a little bit above minimum wage? How do you treat them? I mean, you know, if you're higher up on the level, you know, do, do you just walk by them or, or do you actually say hi and take time to get to know people? You know, I see people all the time here on Berkeley and New Hope, and I see people all the time wearing their dress attire to, for work who are walking to work. If you're walking to work, I guarantee if you can't afford a car, you're probably struggling a little bit. Do we think about those people? Do we treat them with kindness, respect? Do we give them a smile when they serve us? 
Or are we, are we in such a busy throughout the day that we neglect the divine opportunities God has given us because we just want to get whatever we want and then go and walk away? That's someone's son or daughter or mom or, or grandparents. And I, I guarantee you, if you ask God, if you ask God today, God, give me more divine opportunities to be Jesus to people. He will do that this week. The question is, will you slow down and will you take the time to give someone a smile and, and ask them how they're doing? Ask them how their day is. I think about a homeless man that, that came to church here a couple weeks ago. And uh, pretty much everyone had left, and he came into service. And, uh, I mean, you could just tell his clothes were uh, just all ragged. And I talked with him till past 9.30 that night in the parking lots. And, and I'm not saying this to just pat myself on the back. I'm saying I'm trying to live this out. And, and I want to encourage you to live it out. And I treated that man in that parking lot at 9.30 at night and got to know his story just like I would treat a president of a, of a, of a company here in Goldsboro. Thanks. I appreciate that. But I want to set the example. I want to set the example for my kids. I want them to see that I do my best, and, and with God's help, that I try to pe treat people with respect and dignity, no matter what their skin color is, no matter what job they do. And I want to teach my, my kids that you always look someone in the eye and you always shake someone's hand. And, and you don't treat, don't, don't think you're better than other people as well. I have a, uh, you know, there's a ton of people in Goldsboro that panhandle. It, it's, man, I've never, listen, I lived, I've lived in cities. I've lived in San Francisco and I lived in Dallas. And there's more panhandlers I've seen in Goldsboro than any of those cities I've ever been to. And, and, I, and, and I know some families that instead of giving money, which, you know, if you, want it, if you feel led to give them money, that's fine. But I know some families that always keep um, a case of water in the car and snack bars. And whenever they see a panhandler, they give this person a bottle of water and a snack bar. Because they know where that money is going to. You know, if they're really wanting food, you just gave them food and water. And, and, I, and, and they've gotten their kids involved, you know, so they'll roll down the water and, and their little kids will hand, give a hand out of water out the window or a snack bar. And, and that's awesome. Uh, there's a good friend of mine who lives in Raleigh with his kids. And uh, just recently, they were just taking, taking the day through Raleigh and, and just walking down downtown Raleigh area. And um, there's a homeless man and he's, he's, with, his, he's with his three kids and uh, this guy's asking for money, and he's asking for money for food. And so what he does is he says, I'm not going to give you money, 
but I want you to join us for lunch. And so he took this homeless man with his three kids who are 12 and under, and they all sat down and had lunch with this man. And they got to know his story. And his kids were so impacted by that that they, they can't stop talking about it. You know, I know this, this is a struggle here. You know, we, we have people ask us for money or food or whatever it is, like, on a regular basis. And sometimes we're like, you know, well, I don't, you know, we think, we think to ourselves, are they going to use the money to buy cigarettes or to buy drugs or alcohol or, or whatever it is? I, I understand that struggle because I struggle with that as well. And I was, I was talking with my buddy Ivan this morning and just kind of talking through this message and, and just asking him for, for some advice. And, you know, I, I think sometimes... If, if God has put on your heart to help someone in need, then do it. And instead of always trying to figure out what they're going to do with the money, really because that's not your responsibility. God's called you to give. And what they do with the money, they have to answer for that. But if God has put someone on my heart to help, Maybe he's put a family that you know of that doesn't have much money and needs help with school supplies. Help them out this week. You know, our church, we do a lot for, for the needy. You've seen with the One for Change, what we do with that. Our church, our church serves at the soup kitchen every single week. Like right now, there's a group from the bridge that is serving uh, over 100 homeless people right now. Um, I think about Compassion International, which is an incredible organization. I encourage you to go check them out. And you can sponsor a child for $38 a month. And, um, and just go to Compassion. I think it's Compassion.org. And there's some videos that you can watch. And they will, they are so touching. Um, you know, you're like, $38 a month, that's like, you know, that's like, uh, you know, what's your cable bill? You know, like that's one dinner to go out to eat with your family. Uh, and now if you're a family of five or six, that's like half the money to go out to dinner. Um, but but maybe, maybe this year for Christmas, what if you and your kids sponsored a child this year for Christmas? Every year, and every month you send money and you write letters and you send pictures and they write letters and, and, and you can even, even get a picture of, of the child you sponsor. It's an incredible organization. I think one of the times, I think one of the reasons, and I, I'm, I'm preaching the preacher right now, I think one of the reasons our kids can be so selfish is because they see us as parents living a selfish life. And we're so hard on our kids. You just want toys. You just want this or that. But they see what we're spending our money on. I'm just saying. Um, 
I just want to thank you for being one of the most generous churches I've ever been a part of. You guys are so generous, and, and I, I hear stories all the time of the Just Because cards. If you are not familiar with the Just Because cards, uh, you can get them out there in the lobby, and you just grab, just grab a stack of cards and bless someone this week. Do just a random act of kindness and, and hand them a Just Because card. You know, I'm not talking about enabling the lazy. I'm not in talking, talking about enabling lazy. There are some people who are poor because of poor choices they have made, and they don't want to work, and they just want the government to take care of themselves. Can you say that? I just did. Because that lifestyle is not honoring to God. If you can work, you should work. Let me give you a verse here, just so you think it's not just me saying that. 1 Timothy 5.8. Anyone who does not pro- provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Hello. Listen, pagans, even in biblical times, took care of their own families. How much more should believers provide for their own family? I'm going to step out here, so get ready. As a man, you are called to provide for your family. You are to do whatever it takes. Even if you don't like what you do, you still do it because that's your job. I know men that don't do anything, and they expect their wife to provide for the family while they stay at home, play video games, do whatever it is they do. Dude, that's what boys do. That's not a man. If you are not providing for your family financially, you're not a man. And and now, there are some situations I know where the, the wife, the woman, works and she makes really good money. And the dad stays home and takes care of the kids. That's fine, man. That's fine. I, I couldn't do it, but uh, but if that works for you, that's cool. You know, you're do, you're, you stay at home, you take care of the house, you do the grocery shopping, you take care of the kids, you, you, uh, you know, you pour into your family and your spouse. That, hey, that's honoring to God as well. <coughs> but if you're not providing for your family, you're not doing your job. You're not doing your job. And... Uh, I better stop because I want to say more, but um, (laughs) in verse 3 of that same chapter, it says, give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. Now, widows have a special place in my heart. My grandma Pearl, who lived next door. Uh, lived five more years after my grandpa John passed away. 
And, and I, you know, remember so many times walking next door and, and just seeing her in the room with the TV off and, and just crying and, and crying out for my grandpa. And, I mean, it was heartbreaking. I remember those times. Um, you know, do you have a parent, a grandparent, a neighbor that is a widow right now? And if you do, how are you loving them like Jesus? How are you loving them? I mean, obviously, God brought them into your life for a reason. But we're also called to provide for the widows. You know what? You may be a widow yourself one day. And how you treat widows now may be an indication of how you will be treated. The first church I pastored 13 years ago had three elderly men pass away in just over a year. And I did every single one of their funerals. And I ministered to those ladies. Ladies who were just beside themselves, just broken, married for 45, 50, 60 years. Can you imagine? All Really, all that you know of just being married, and all of a sudden, just like that, gone, and you, you just have to, you have to move on somehow, some way. I've been a chaplain at uh, Wayne UNC Health for the last six years, six and a half years. And I can't tell you how many times I, listen, when you're a chaplain and you get a list of names of rooms to visit, you never know what you're walking into. And I can share some doozy stories. But I think about the poor and the needy and the widow when I walk in these rooms. And sometimes I walk in these rooms, and there's no one in there except the person in bed. And I've talked to maybe the nurse at the nurse station before I walked in the room, and she, she or he have, have told me, man, they haven't had a visitor all week long. I mean, can you imagine being in the hospital? I mean, that's not a fun place anyway. But can you imagine being in the hospital and no one to visit you? How heartbroken and lonely that would be. I came across this article this weekend, and it was entitled, Women's Funeral Has No Attendees, So 30 Strangers Showed Up. Rangetown, New York. About 30 people have paid their respects to a woman they never met after responding to a call from attendees for a suburban New York funeral home at which no one was expected to show up. The Journal News reports the strangers served as Francine Stein's pallbearers and also helped bury her during the service Wednesday at a cemetery in Orangetown. Stein died at the age of 83. Rabbi Elikanan Weinbeck officiated the service and says there was no eulogy because he didn't know anything about the woman. He learned at the cemetery that Stein was a musician 
and it taught at the Juilliard School. The call for volunteers came on Facebook from Weinbach's daughter. One attendee said she came to service as a simple act of human decency. There are needs and opportunities all around us. And if we would just slow down from our busy lives, if we would just slow down and make some time to talk to people, just think of what God could do through us. Just think what God could do through our families. And, man, it's great to schedule family fun days. But what if you took a little bit of time out of that day to make an impact in someone's life with your kids? James 1.27 says, Pure and unblemished religion, as it is expressed in outward acts, is a sign of our God and Father in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit and look after the father and the widow, widows in their distress, because that's the heart of God. It's express, expressed in outward acts. You can tell God that you love him all day long, but if you, don't, if you do not love those that are around you, that is just lip service. God identifies with the poor, when God chose the nation of Israel, he chose them because they were the least of all people. Can you imagine God chose the Israelites, the nobodies of society, the most desperate group of all? That's who he chose. Was Jesus born in a palace? No, he was born in a manger where animals slept and ate and went to the bathroom everywhere. That's where our Savior was born. When you give your time and resources to the poor and needy, you have the heart of God. Oftentimes, we, don't, we do not know what people have been through. And instead of having condemnation where they're at in their situation... We should have compassion as Christ followers. I want to show you a two-minute video of a church giving a pizza delivery man a tip of a lifetime. So check this out. Man receives the tip of a lifetime. A Hamilton church gave Kenny Sharp $3,000 for a pizza delivery. Local 12 News reporter Larry Davis shows us how members of a congregation came forward to help a family in need. I'm going to go ahead and say this is probably going to be one of the coolest moments you've ever been a part of in your life. It was unusual for Pastor Curtis Moak to call a pizza delivery man to stand in front of the congregation at the Hamilton Christian Center. But the pastor had a purpose. We try to emphasize uh, being a Christ-centered church, and Christ himself said it's better to give than to receive, so we had a message around that. Kenny Sharp, who works part-time for Marco's Pizza, didn't know what to think. I was just like, what is going on? I mean, I was, I was totally clueless. The Hamilton Christian Center often orders pizza here from the Marcos on Hamilton's west side. Pastor Moak told the manager what he was up to. He wanted to give money to someone deserving, asked who would be a worthy candidate. Kenny Sharp's name was the first to come up. Kenny works two jobs, his wife one. 
The one son is autistic. Another has a lesion on his brain. The family has one car. On Sunday, Kenny was to get the tip of his life after delivering one cheese pizza. Well, I don't know what your biggest tip is. What's the biggest tip you ever got? Um, on a delivery, $25. Well, I'm going to double that right now. Members of the congregation answered Pastor Moke's call and came forward. At the end of the service, Kenny Sharp would receive a $3,000 tip. And when I opened the envelope after I got in my wife's car and I saw where it was $3,000, I'm like, um... Kenny says the prayers his wife said as she took their dog for a walk were answered. She always says that she prays as she's walking that somehow or another we're going to get some money to where we can get the bills paid or get the car fixed or replaced. Um, and this was, this, was, this was a godsend. The church really showed up to support someone that they did not know, but they just felt that they needed to be Christ-like and give. In Hamilton, Larry Davis, Local 12 News. And since the family's down to one car, Kenny says it stands to reason that he'll be using that tip money to shop for a second set of wheels. The church has also offered to reimburse Kenny for any taxes paid on the tip. Isn't that a great story? Oh, it's a wonderful I story. It. Yeah, fun to report. Very good. Isn't that awesome, man? You better believe we're doing something like that this coming year, man. Uh, something like that. I, you know, I think of, of churches that I know that, I mean, Elevation Church right here, uh, a, a church that's, that has had a big impact on our church. And, and, uh, and I remember a few years ago that, that they gave a brand new car away to a single mom. Like, how incredible is that? That's what the church does. The church loves in a radical way. And, and I'm challenging everyone as individuals and as families to love in a radical way. But think about when we all come together, what we could do for Goldsboro and Wayne County. It is, it is remarkable on what we could do. <clears throat> How do you know when you see true salvation, when you see the heart and the attitude of God in that person? And that is to be concerned about and help the nobodies of this world. That's when you know someone's in love with Jesus. And I want that to be said about me. That, man, he loved Jesus in a radical way because he loved people in a radical way. You remember in Bethany when Mary anointed Jesus' body with the precious ointment and perfume? Judas got all upset and said, we could have sold that for nearly a year's wages and given it to the poor. And of course, the next verse says, Judas didn't care for the poor. He said it because he was a thief. So here you have Mary who poured out a year's wages of oil on the feet of Jesus as an act of worship. And then you have Zacchaeus a man truly converted wanted to give half of his goods to the poor. That kind of love, that kind of generosity is one that marks true salvation. That's why James is using this as a test. For us not to be a snob and to look down on people that are poor, 
that are needy, the widows, those have, that have gone through a lot of tough situations and having a hard time getting back on their feet. May we radically love the poor, the widows, the outcasts, because Jesus loves them. And if we love Jesus, we will love who he loves. And the greatest poverty of all is the poverty of the soul. Those that don't know Jesus Christ. That's the greatest poverty of all. And there's people in here I know that, that have not made a decision for Jesus. And you can make that decision before you walk out this door. Because you know what? The car ride home is not promised. There are people that continue to try to find value and meaning and identity in the things of this world, in your job, in stuff. Listen, man, when you die, there's no U-Haul or trailer attached to the hearse. You are born naked and you leave naked. So uh, I'm going to just pray for us.